Welcome to the Faith Lift Radio Podcast, where doubt is destroyed and your faith is lifted. Here's today's message from Dr. Glenn. All right, so if you have your Bible today, let's open our Bible, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Now, we are in part two of our series, The Holy Spirit and His Gifts, all right? The Holy Spirit and His Gifts. We've discovered yesterday that the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. We are not cessationist. Uh, we, uh, cessationism is not of God. Cessationism is of the devil. Point blank, okay? You cannot justify cessationism, all right? It's a lie from the pit of hell. Like one man said uh, before, and we're going to turn the table on that, uh, because some of these people have used this same sta- say- saying that... Uh, Tongues is the last vomit of the devil. Well, I want to tell you right now that cessationism is the last vomit of the devil. When you peruse the page of the scriptures, the New Testament, you cannot see anywhere the excuses that the people use, that the cessationists use, the reformed theologians use to justify cessationism. It is not in the Bible. Cessationism at best is theological dishonesty. All right, or it is intellectual unbelief. It is intellectual unbelief. All right. <clears throat> now let's open our Bible, please, to the book of Acts, the second chapter. Now I want you to look in your Bible. It says, verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. I want you to notice that there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire as it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost <coughs> and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Now, what I want you to do is to write this down in your notes. You know, theologians love to call and love to say that the age in which we live, the church age, is the age, uh, it's called the church age or the age of grace. And that's true. And that's fantastic. But really, the age in which we are living right now are the days of Pentecost. All right. We're living post-Pentecost till uh, pre-trumpet. So right now, these are days of Pentecost. We are living in a Pentecostal uh, era, and you need to understand that. Don't let people fool you and just let you know that the Pentecost was only for the first century. No, it's for us today. If you know anything about the seven feasts, you know that Jesus has already fulfilled three, and the Holy Ghost came on the on the on the feast of Pentecost. We're now waiting for the rapture of the church as the feast of trumpet. Isn't it interesting that the church began with a sound from heaven and it's going to end. The church age is going to end with the sound of a trumpet. Are you listening to me, somebody? All right, so you need to understand that. So we are living in Pentecost era. Are you listening? Now, what you need to understand is to look in your Bible very closely. Look what it says here in verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues. 
The key word that you need to underline in your Bible or circle in your Bible is the word cloven tongues. Now, what does the word cloven means? The word cloven means divided into two. Divided into two. So that lets you know that there are two, at least two kinds of tongues. Two kinds of tongues. Now, tongues, therefore, uh, it's interesting to me when people who came out of the uh, <clears throat> cessationism and they somewhat believe in tongues, but they still confuse tongues as your prayer language and tongues as a ministering gift of the Spirit. I need you to understand that. There's a, there's a clear line of demarcation. There's a clear line of separation between tongues as your prayer language and tongues as one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. All right? The tongues as a prayer language is to minister to you. The tongues as one of the gifts of the Spirit, which is uh, most efficacious when you uh, couple it with, uh, um, with the interpretation of tongues, that's when you minister to the body of Christ or to the church. So you must understand the difference. So when people say, do all speak in tongues, they think it's talking about the prayer language. It is not. It's talking about tongues as a ministering gifts. And that one is as the Spirit of God leads. Whereas tongues as my prayer language is when I will. Paul says, I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my understanding. You really need to understand that, okay? Now, <clears throat> so we understand that cloven means divided into two. So we know that there are two kinds of tongues. So write this down, please. Glory be to God. <clears throat> Number one is a sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, but ministering tongues is assigned to unbelievers as a ministry gift. So now let's get a bit more technical about this. There are two kinds of tongues, praise God. <clears throat> there is one which is known as glossolalia, that is the phenomenon of speaking in an unknown tongues. That's your prayer language. And then you have what is known as xenolalia. That's the phenomenon of speaking, of a speaker speaking a known language unknown to the speaker. That's the language of the nations. All right. So you need to understand all of this. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans in chapter 8. So, once again, let me say this to you. You need to understand there's a clear line of demarcation between tongues as a prayer language and tongues as one of the ministering gifts of the Spirit. Now, write this down in your notes or for your own, you know, just keep it in your memory, that Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to the church. And tongues, your prayer language, is the Holy Spirit's gift to you. Let me say that again. Jesus is God's gift to the world. It's the Father's gift to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm, it is better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go, the Comforter will not come. I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you another parakletos, another one just like me, who will stand by your side. He will not just be by your side, he will be in you. All right? 
So Jesus' gift to the church is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's gift to you is your supernatural prayer language. Very important for you to understand that. And you mustn't neglect your heavenly prayer language. Can you say amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, look in your Bible, please. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> look in your Bible now. Let's go to the book of Romans in chapter 8. We are going to be looking extensively, God willing, at Romans chapter 8, verse 26 till verse 29, till verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 till verse 28. Now, um, <clears throat> I want us to look at that verse. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, circle the word infirmities, and the word infirmities here is the Greek word asthenia, A-S-T-H-E-N-I-A, and literally it should be infirmity. It should be infirmity, and it should be the word helplessness, helplessness. That is one ultimate infirmity. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity. And then you see the, the, the colon after this. He, Paul explains to you what the infirmity is. Paul explains to you what the problem is. What's the infirmity? What is the ultimate weakness? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That is the ultimate infirmity. And did you notice the word we? So Paul includes himself in having this infirmity. We have this helplessness in the fact that we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Now, that's a very important, uh, I need you to circle the word ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession. Now, circle the word intercession. Very important. All right, so there are some words that you need to, under, to, to underline here. For us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his <coughs> purpose. Now, let's, let's, uh, before I explain this to you, I want before we delve into the rich meanings of these verses, I want to give you a little background and help you to understand the thought pattern of Paul in this whole chapter. You need to understand that the entire of Romans chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit more than any other chapters in the Bible. Did you know that? That Romans chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit. Uh, in this chapter, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than any other chapters in the Bible. It is literally an expose on the work and the help of the Holy Spirit in our present life in the midst of a sinful fallen world. Now, Romans 8, ladies and gentlemen, can be summarized as such. How can it be summarized? <clears throat> Write this down. <clears throat> Number one, Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, here is the first summary. I have been redeemed from the penalty and the punishment of sin because I am in Christ. His work on the cross of Calvary 
was my satisfactory substitutionary sufficient sacrifice. All right, so that's summary number one from verse one. Summary number two, all right, you'll find it in verse nine, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, now, remember number one, I have been redeemed from the penalty and the punishment of sin. Number two, second resume or summary is that I am being redeemed from the power of sin because of the indwelling of the Spirit. I am being redeemed from the power of sin. I have already been redeemed from the penalty and the punishment of sin because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Now, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that gives me power, amen, over the power of sin. Now, then Romans, uh, resume number three, I want you to write this down. Number three, you'll find it in Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, I will eventually be redeemed from the presence of sin. Now, I want you to get this now. I have already been redeemed from the penalty and the punishment of sin. And because of the indwelling spirit, I am being redeemed presently from the power of sin. <clears throat> All right. But there will come a time where I will be redeemed from the presence of sin because of a new resurrected body in the rapture by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the indwelling of the Spirit in my spirit guarantees the resurrection of my body by the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? In other words, Paul was endeavoring for the believer to understand their redemption from sin had three levels. Here are the three levels. Are you ready? Write this down. Number one, redeemed from the penalty of sin by virtue of the cross and uh, the, the cross of Calvary. Redeemed from the penalty and the punishment of sin by virtue of the cross of Calvary. Number two, the second level, I'm being redeemed from the power of sin by virtue of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But at the same time that you've been redeemed from the penalty and the punishment of sin, right? But sin is still present in the world. But there will come a time where I will be redeemed from the presence of sin. It will have no power on me by the virtue of the resurrection of our bodies. This will take place in the rapture of the church. As some theologians have eloquently put it, we have been saved. That's our spirit man. We are being saved. That, are, that is our soul. All right, and we shall be saved, that be our bodies. This is why when you read Ephesians chapter 2, it says, We are, uh, by grace are you saved through faith. By grace are you saved. Then you read Romans chapter 8, We shall be saved by hope. Well, so which one is it? Am I saved by grace or am I saved by hope? 
The hope is talking about the redemption of your body in the future. All right, so while we are looking forward to the culmination of our redemption, meaning the resurrection of our bodies, we do so by patience and eagerness. And some theologians have called it a situation of already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. We have been redeemed, but we are not yet totally redeemed in the fact of your body. Okay? The penalty of condemnation has already been removed, but sin has not been completely destroyed because it is still present in the earth today. Then Paul went on to describe how the whole creation is awaiting, as we are awaiting, the manifestation, all right, of the sons of God in full redemption. But in the meantime, we are not hopeless and helpless. We have the divine assistance and the help of the Holy Spirit, who, through prayer and intercessions, turns things that were meant for our evil to be for our good. All right, so in addition to this now, I want to bring to your thinking, to your attention, three things. I want you to write them down. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Write this down, please. Praise be to Jesus. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's assistance in the beginning, in the bearing of the witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know that you're saved? I know that I'm saved because I have an inner witness in my, in my spirit. Then, so we know this now, in our beginning, the Holy Spirit's assistance and help through the bearing of the witness in our spirit that we are children of God. That's our beginning. Then we have, we know of the Holy Spirit's assistance in the raising of our mortal bodies into immortal bodies in the future by His indwelling. So we know the beginning. We know the future. The beginning is that He helps us to understand that we are children of God. All right? Nobody can take that away from you. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm a child of God because of the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. All right? He, that's how He helps me. And I know in the future, because of His indwelling, amen, He will resurrect my body and give me an immortal body, a glorified body like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Ghost who did that at the beginning and He, he will be there in the future. So how does He help us presently? Okay? The Holy Spirit's assistance in the now comes through prayer with our day-to-day -day living. You hear me now? He helps you in your born again, being born again, and gives you the inner witness. He will help you in the future, in your glorified body. All right? Because he's the one who gave Jesus a glorified body. Glory to God. And so, that doesn't mean that we are left helpless in our day-to-day -day present life. It doesn't work that way. No. He's here to help you. Not just in the past. Not just in the future. But He's here to help you on a day-to-day -day basis. Can you say that with me? Say with me. I know that He helped me at the beginning. He will help me in my future. But He will help me in my day-to-day -day present life. How does He do that? So, 
<clears throat> That's the basic background of Romans chapter 8. And now we want to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26 uh, till verse 28, but we will put a heavy emphasis on verse 26. Now, many times when you read Romans chapter 8, a lot of churches, they quote, okay, they will quote to you to verse 20, um, <clears throat> 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And most of the time, that scripture is used, all right, <clears throat> at a funeral. And that is not a funeral verse, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Thank you, Jesus. That is not a funeral verse. Now, these verses, ladies and gentlemen, are loaded verses that many believers have not given much attention to. And I promise you, if you take the time to decipher these verses, your life will be better off for it. Information coupled with activation will result in great productions in your life. Let me say it again. Information coupled with activation will result in great productions in your life. So we want to systematically go through these verses in order for you to gain a whole new perspective on the help of the Holy Spirit. Just like someone will take apart all the nuts and bolts and put them together, all right, is what we want to do with these verses. All right, so we want to give uh, in, uh, give a lot of attention to that verse 26. Remember this, I told you um, that verse 27 and verse 28 can only be understood with the understanding of Romans 8.26. So Romans 8.26, these words you need to underline. In fact, you need to underline all these words. Likewise... The, the Spirit, then circle the word helpeth, then our infirmities, we know not what to pray, ought, intercession, groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now, let me give you this, let me just step ahead of myself and give you, thank you Lord Jesus, the... Um, <clears throat> Greek rendition of this, which I've deciphered, broken it through, right, and make it palatable for believers. Let's first give you the original Greek, okay? Literally translated in English goes like this. A samely, similarly, yet, and also, the numerous spirit together, supporting, is aiding to the unfirmness of us, the any what we should be praying, according to which, according to what is binding it must be. We have perceived, we are aware all, all, but oh to same itself, the numerous spirit is over pleading, is pleading over to groanings, untalked, inarticulate. Now, that's the literal translation. Now, let's break it. When you break it down, and uh, this is why I've been writing a commentary on Romans 8, 26, 28. I want to give you the, um, <clears throat> this is what the Greek rendition is saying. Paul says, I want you to write this down. This is the Glenarican version of it. We have an ultimate weakness in that we do not know what specific prayer to engage as is necessi necessitated 
by the nature of the case to obtain the required end result that we desire. Let me say it again. We have an ultimate weakness in that we do not know what specific prayer to engage as is necessitated by the nature of the case to obtain the required end result that we desire. We do not know the pre-established counsel and decree of God that will bring the required end. But the Holy Spirit knows everything. The Holy Spirit who knows everything makes intercession for us in conjunction with our spirit. Now listen, that intercession that he makes hits the target. He hits the target as he prays through us in a mysterious language or mysterious sentences that does not make sense to our natural mind. Nevertheless, he hits the bullseye and stops any negativity, sets in motion against us, and secures the favor of God on our behalf. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 26 onwards. Now, you can only get that when you get my book, the new book that's coming out. All right, praise God. So, let's, you can only understand verse 27 and verse 28 in the light of verse 26. Now, many times people and preachers have used verse 28, you know, all things work together for good to them that love God, as an excuse to explain away disaster or calamity. But verse 28, ladies and gentlemen, is often used in conjunction with, in a funeral, in conjunction with the sovereignty of God to explain away or endeavoring to sweep away a disaster under the carpet. But the reality is that verse 27 and 28 are victorious verses as answers to prayer from the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, let's look at this now. we know (coughs) that the word groanings are mentioned three times at least in Romans 8. Creation is groaning. We are groaning, right? And the Holy Ghost is is groaning. You hear me now? Three times times the word groanings are mentioned in Romans chapter 8. The creation is groaning. We ourselves, we're groaning. To be clothed with immortality. So we are in pain right now. Alright, so we're groaning. Because we want to see a change. But the Holy Spirit, when he groans, it's not out of pain. It's to bring change for you. Alright, so look, let's look at this now. <clears throat> let's look at this. Thank you, Jesus. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Circle the word help. The Holy Spirit was there at the new birth. He will be there in the future with our new body in the resurrection. But that does not mean that he is an absentee in the present. On the contrary, he is present to assist us now. Put your hand on your heart and say with me, the Holy Spirit is here to assist me. Say it again, please. The Holy Spirit is here to assist me today. Now, <clears throat> in other words, in essence, Paul was saying, if we can count on the Holy Spirit to help us at the beginning of our Christian walk and in the future 
then in the same manner we can count on him to help and assist us today. So, likewise, like I said to you, the Greek says, as samely and similarly, the Numa spirit together supports us. All right? He helps us. Now, the word help, I want you to write this down. The word help comes from the Greek word sunan tilam banamai. All right? Sun and, and tilam banamai. Sunan tilam banamai. Meaning, it's a compound of several words. Meaning to take a hold together with and against. All right? The Greek word is the word sunan tilam banamai, which means to take a hold together. He comes to your side together with and against. The together with implies our cooperation and participation is required and the against indicates together attacking for victory. So that tells you that Sunan Tilam Banomai informs you that in any given grievous situation, the Holy Spirit, in cooperation with your spirit and your mouth, takes a hold together with you against the problem. Are you listening? <clears throat> Sunan Tilam Banomai does not mean that you leave the Holy Spirit alone to pray and to intercede. Let me say it again. Sunantilam banomai, which is the word helpeth. It's one word in English, but it's a compound of several words in Greek. Does not mean that you leave the Holy Spirit alone to pray and to intercede. No, no, no. If that was the case, then all believers would automatically be living in victory. That is not the case for many are living in abject defeat because they roll over and play dead when a bad situation arises. They do not give the Holy Spirit the occasion to rise and to take hold of them together, all right, to remove the problem in prayer. I want you to write this down, please. Your silence and voicelessness does not provoke the help of the Holy Spirit. Your silence is the abdication of your authority. Your silence is the abdication of your authority. You will find that the Holy Spirit has nothing to do, nothing to take a hold of, if you just sit back passively in prayerlessness. If you do not pray, then he has nothing to pray. Are you listening? <clears throat> now, it's like when you are on the walking the walking runway. You know what the walking runway is in the airport? You just stand there and it will just take you there. All right. You're walking, but the runway is supporting you and propelling you forward, making you going toward your destination faster. All right. When Paul engaged the word helpeth, it was a word picture conveying the idea of help that is offered to an infant who is unable to support himself 
or to the feeble, staggering, and unable to walk. All right? The intention is to relieve those whose strength cannot carry their burden alone. Just as a baby is helpless, but need the help of an adult to change, so the Holy Spirit is our senior assistant to help us change and to be fit. So he helps, he comes alongside us, he takes a hold together with us against the problem, against our infirmity. Remember what I told you, our infirmities. Paul used, Paul used the word our and we. That's very important and not to be taken lightly. Because Paul includes himself in it and all believers worldwide, no matter who they are. So I'm talking to you. You have a shortcoming in your life today. And that's why you need the help of the Holy Spirit. The we is a reference to those who have received the down payment of the Holy Spirit. You'll find this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 23, please. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. Right? The, the, that's the indwelling of the, of the Spirit. That's the first fruit. The indwelling of the Spirit in salvation. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Your redemption is not complete until your body is totally redeemed. Can you say amen? All right, so, so the word our and we are very important and not to be taken lightly. Paul includes himself in it and all believers worldwide, no matter who they are. The we is a reference to those who have received the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That's verse 23, and we are saved in verse 24, and we are waiting for the redemption of our body in the future. But in the meantime, in the now, you have a weakness, you have a disability, and a shortcoming. What is it? It is in prayer. All right? In other, in other words, Paul was saying, <clears throat> I need help in prayer. I need help in prayer. You need help in prayer. Now, you wouldn't think that Paul <laughs> would be saying that he needs help in prayer like we all did, because we thought that Paul was the ultimate ap ap apostle. But yet, he says, hey, I have a disability. I have a shortcoming, I have a weakness, I have an asthenia in that I do not know what I should pray for as I ought. Remember the word? <clears throat> Infirmity is the word uh, asthenia, which in Greek is singular, not plural. All right, so we can say this way. Here's the, I'm going to read to you from different Bible, okay? I'm going to read to you from the Berean, the Berean literal Bible. Now, likewise also, the Spirit joins to help us in weakness. For we do not know the things we should pray for, we should pray for as it behooves. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession with inexpressible groanings. The Amplified Bible says, in the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. The Weymouth New Testament, okay, the Weymouth New Testament says it this way. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. 
for we do not know what prayers to offer nor in what way to offer them. But the Spirit himself pleads for us in yearnings that can find no words. Now remember the word asthenia means weakness. It means shortcoming. It means lack of strength and you don't have the capacity. Now the word asthenia today in today's vernacular, it is used nowadays to refer to a physical disease, which is a condition in which the body lacks strength or has lost strength, either as a whole or in any of its parts. Are you listening? In Paul's statement, it was a reference to our limitations and deficiencies. Our ultimate weakness is a lack of knowledge. Right? He says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That is the ultimate weakness. Not knowing what to pray for as we ought is like having the ultimate arsenal of weapons and not knowing which one to appropriate to exterminate your enemy. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. That is our ultimate weakness in the fact we do not know which one to engage. We do not know which one to engage. Let me let me let me show you this. Let me uh I want you to write this down. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Going back to the literal Greek text, it says, as samely, write this down. I put them all together. As samely and similarly also, the Spirit together supports us in the aiding of our infirmness and in the deficiency of any of us in not knowing nor perceiving what we should be praying for according to that which is binding as it must be. But the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, goes into overdrive and pleads for us over and with inarticulate groaning. You hear me? Take your time and write this down in your notes. Write it down in your own notes. All right? This is the deciphering of Romans 8. Okay, so write this down, please. <clears throat> Write this down. Thank you, Jesus. This is what we've put literally from the Greek. As samely and similarly, also the Spirit, because remember now, he's, he wants you to understand the whole background of Romans 8. He helps you at the beginning. He's going to help you in the future in the same way, as samely and similarly, also the Spirit together now, supports us in the aiding of our infirmness and in the deficiency of any one of us in not knowing or perceiving what we should be praying for according to that which is binding, legal as it must be. But that same Holy Spirit goes into overdrive and pleads for us over and with inarticulate groaning. Very important that you write this down 
in your own notes. Now, this is what I said to you. That is our ultimate weakness. It is not knowing what to pray for as we ought, as is binding. It's like having the ultimate arsenal of weapons and not knowing which one to appropriate to exterminate the enemy. This is why the Bible calls tongues the prayer. It is the prayer. All right? <clears throat> now, prayer is the ultimate weapon, but not knowing which one to engage in a specific situation is our ultimate weakness. You know, I love the way that uh, the Weymouth translation goes, it goes, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what prayers to offer, nor in what way to offer them. But the Spirit Himself pleads for us in yearnings that can find no words. Praise Jesus. It's like a golfer having to make a shot, but he does not know which club to use. He has the golf bag with all the clubs, but does not know which one to pick to make the right shot. This is where the expertise of the caddy comes into play to assist him in taking the right club for the right shot. The Holy Spirit, our parakletos, all right, the one who comes alongside us to assist us to make the right shot when we do not know which one to take in the course of life. Are you listening? Can you say amen? Praise God. So once again, notice that Paul said, we know not what to pray for as we ought. All right? Paul didn't say, uh, we did not know how to pray, but what to pray. We know how to pray, but many times we don't know what to pray. We know the basic understanding of prayer. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus based upon the word of God and the blood of Jesus. All right, we know the different aspects of prayers and the different principles that govern prayers, the prayer of faith, the prayer of binding and loosing, the prayer of petition, the prayer of consecration, the prayer of inquiries, the prayer of imprecation, the prayer of supplication. These are but a few types of prayers mentioned. So what do we do in certain circumstances? All right, how many have been uncertain about which prayer to utilize in a situation? If we are honest, we all have. Sometimes we just do not know the what and the wherewithals of a situation. And we just do not know which one to use as we ought to. Now, write the circle the word ought. The word ought is the word, the Greek word dei, D-E-I, D-E-I. And in Greek, it means necessity lying in the nature of the case. Necessity in the, in the lying in the nature of the case. Necessity brought on by circumstances or by the conduct of others toward us. All right? Or necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. All right? A necessity of law and command of duty and equity. Now write this down. Day means necessity established by the council and decree of God, specially by that purpose of which, of his, which relates to the salvation of man by the intervention of Christ and which is disclosed in the Old Testament 
prophecies. Now, very important for you to understand that. Now, let's write this down. We want you to write this down. Because the more I, I, I take time, I decipher word by word by word, and then we'll write the the complete meaning of that verse. You heard of the Amplified Bible? Well, this is the Glen O'Reilly Amplified Version. Okay? So combining these words, we come up with the, we, 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 we will form a sentence to shed some light. Here's what Paul was saying. We have a weakness. Paul is saying about himself and about you. We have a weakness. And that is we do not know what specific prayer to engage as is necessitated by the nature of the case. To obtain the required end result that we desire. We do not know the pre-established counsel and decree of God that will bring the required end. But the Holy Spirit, who knows everything, makes intercession. Now, you need to circle the word intercession, because you'll find out why tongues is the prayer, when you understand the word intercession. Okay? For us, with our spirit, in inarticulate speech, and words that cannot, that seems to be... Uh, not intelligible, all right? Now, let's look at two examples quickly from the life of Paul. Did Paul have weakness? Oh, yeah. Did he have pre uh, weakness in his prayer? Of course he did. Now, write this down. Your weakness is not your end, but he uh, <clears throat> is not your end, but his beginning. What looks like your end is his beginning. When you do not know what to do, the Holy Spirit knows the what. When you don't know the what, the Holy Spirit knows the what. Did Paul have this weakness in prayer? Well, yeah, he did. Because he said, our weakness. Let me show you Paul's weakness in prayer. In that he did not know what the situation needed. Let me give you two examples. Look in your Bible, please. In the book of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 to verse 10. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. On the line in your Bible. The messenger of Satan. Now, that is what Paul said it is. So I don't care what the uh, some unbelieving preacher telling you or what you read from a book. It is not ophthalmia. If you think that Paul's thorn in the flesh is was ophthalmia or bad leg or whatever it is, you are mistaken. You don't know the word. He just told you what it is. The thorn in the flesh is the messenger of Satan. The Greek word for messenger is the word angelos, angelos, A-N-G-E-L-O-S, from which you derive the word angel, a messenger of Satan. To buffet me, to strike me with blow after blow after blow, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now look at his weakness. For this thing I besought the Lord three times. I prayed about it three times. That it might depart from me. Why? Because he understood the authority of the believer. He understood the authority of binding and loosing. He understood imprecatory prayers. He understood 
power and authority. He understood the fusion of exousia and dunamis, all right, would become dominion. And yet, when he prayed about this situation three times, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Why? Why? Because the messenger of Satan, the Angelos, remember this in the book of Revelation, to the seven churches, to the angels of the church in Ephesus, to the angels in the church of Smyrna. The angel here is not referring to a physical angel because the word angel here in the context of the book of Revelation to the seven churches, we was talking to the seven pastors. Are you listening? So the messenger of Satan here was a man that Satan was using. It was a preacher or a pastor. Like I told you before, your greatest persecution will come from people, preachers, pastors, and politicians. Are you listening to me now? They will come from who? People or personality, preachers, pastors, and what? Politicians. So, the reason why he could not get rid of this messenger, because it was a brother, supposedly brother in Christ. Okay, lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I bestowed the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather in my infirmities or shortcomings and tribulations that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, that it tells you what it is. Okay? This is the thorn in the flesh, how it manifested. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. All right? <clears throat> Paul is talking about the thorn in the flesh that he prayed about three times. Asking God to remove it. Okay. So there you go. Now you understand who, why he couldn't remove it. Because it was a person. How many of you know that we, even as Pentecostals, all right, or even as a church body, we've got other people that comes against us. I mean, you look at the Reformed people, all right, <clears throat> supposedly with a Reformed theology, which is more like deformed theology, all right, they go against uh, Pentecostal churches, uh, labeling Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, um, you know, foolish churches, crazy churches. And I admit there are some craziness in our churches. But some of these people will tell you that Pentecostal people and uh, those who are speaking in tongues are not saved. All right, these are pastors on, on your television that will tell you that the likes of you are not saved and born again. All right? <clears throat> so Paul went to God in prayer, knowing that he can remove a spirit of Satan because he taught the authority of the believer, but you can't remove a brother. Okay? Thank you, Jesus. Example number two. Example number two. Look in your Bibles. Paul's ultimate weakness. Look at his weakness here. <clears throat> quickly, let's go quickly go through this. Thank you, Jesus. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. All right. Now, you know, in, in, in the book of Philippians, you had the same problem. Some people were preaching the gospel because they love God. Some were preaching the gospel to get Paul into trouble. But he said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer 
and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's, the, here's his problem. To live or to die. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I don't know. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, uh, with you all for your furtherance of and the joy of your faith. All right? That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Here is his weakness. Do I live? Do I die and go to heaven or do I stay here? I don't know what to do. But when you pray about it, stay here. Stay here. All right. So we know that the Philippian letter was written from jail. Okay. But yet he says, I don't know what to do. Well, what do you, what do, you do when you don't know what to do? Okay. This is why he boldly explained and boldly claimed and exclaimed, I thank my God. That I speak with tongues more than you all. When you don't know which prayer to engage, you can always go back to the prayer, the ultimate, the definite article prayer that is praying in the Holy Ghost. What happens? Now, quickly, we will pick up on that tomorrow, but I want to give you a little foretaste of what tomorrow is going to be about. He says, For he the Spirit maketh intercession. Say intercession. Now, listen. Now, if you, if you haven't gotten anything so far, get this. The word, the word intercession. Now, we know that the word intercession is understood as standing in the gap, praying unceasingly until something breaks or manifests. All right? After telling us about our ultimate weakness, is not knowing which prayer to utilize as a tool. Now, Paul reveals to us the ultimate help, the ultimate tool in prayer, which is the intercessory prowess of the Holy Spirit from within our spirit. Now, write this down quickly, please. Write this down. The word intercession, this is where you go. I've said all this to get to this. The word intercession in Greek is the word huperentungano. All right? It's the, it's the Greek word huperentungano. Huperen, H-U-P-E-R-E-N-T-U-G-C-H-A-N-O, which is a compound of two words, huper and tungano. Huperen, hupertungano. Now, write this down. Well, just don't, don't write it down. When you get the book, you can get the whole of it, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Listen to this now. Listen to this. This is why I pray in tongues. This is why you people that are anti-tongues, you're losers, all right? Because you don't know the scripture. If you knew the scripture, you would never go against tongues because the spirit maketh intercession, all right? Cessationist, you're wrong because that's the reason why you cannot tap into the Hooper and Tungano, all right? And I'm not, listen, I'm going to be hitting you bold, loud, clear, because we're tired of your garbage. All right? We're tired of your nonsense. <clears throat> now, according to A.T. Robertson's Grammar of the Greek New Testament, in the light of historical research, Paul loved to create new words, okay, with the Greek preposition hooper, okay, which whenever is used in the Genetic, the word means in behalf of or on behalf of or above and over and beyond. 
Now listen to this very carefully here. All right. Thank you, Jesus. The word Hooper and Tungano is only used once in the New Testament. And of course, you know who engaged it? The Apostle Paul. All right. So to get a better understanding of what Paul was trying to say, we have to look at the compound words of Hooper and Tungano. Write this down, please. Write this down. <clears throat> when you compound the word together, it literally means to strike, to strike properly. It means to hit the mark, to hit the mark. Hooper and Tungano literally means to hit the bullseye. So why do I pray in tongues? Why should you pray in tongues? It's to hit the bullseye. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen, when you're praying in tongues, you are, the Holy Ghost is making intercession through you. It is Hooper and Tungano, which means to strike properly, to hit a strike, to get a strike, to hit the mark, spot on, and to hit the bullseye. The two words compounded means that when we're praying through the Holy Spirit's prowess, that he on our behalf hits the mark, hits the spot, and hits the bullseye. All right? Did you know, did you also notice the word Tungano also means to strike as in hitting the mark? In bowling, a strike means that all the pins have been knocked down on the first ball, uh, ball roll of a game. And listen to this very carefully here. Listen to this very carefully here. Tungano also describes emotion that comes to a sudden halt, either in a selected target or in an accidental one. All right, you'll find this from the Aberim publication, Biblical Dictionary. All right. <clears throat> and the word Tungano comes from the etymology Tuche, which does not occur in the Bible, but Paul brought in the Bible. And it literally means the good that man obtains by the favor of God's good fortune and success. So write this down, please. Here is the rendition, and I'll close with this. And I will close with this. All right. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> we have a weakness in that we do not know what specific prayer to engage as is necessitated by the nature of the case to obtain the required and result that we desire. Since we do not know the pre-established counsel and decree of God, that's talking about the specifics, that will bring the required end. But the Holy Spirit himself, who knows everything, makes intercession for us with our spirit. He hits the target. He hits the bullseye and stops any negativity, sets in motion against us and secures the favor of God on our behalf. So choke on that, cessationist. Choke on that. This is why we pray in tongues. Because while we may miss the target, he hits the bullseye. I pray in the Holy Ghost because I know it is the ultimate prayer. It is Hooper and Tugano. Are you listening? He goes over and above and hits the bullseye. Glory to God. Can you say amen? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Faith Lift Radio Podcast. For more information about Dr. Glenn and how to offer your financial support, log on to glenarecchia.org.